If you want to follow along, Acts 2, beginning in verse 36. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in the homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and every and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Thank you, John. Good morning, church family. This is a great morning, is it not? I hope you've had a great spring break, and I'm, I'm excited about good news, and I'm glad Eddie went ahead and mentioned it. I, I think it's wonderful that we're talking about the church as a new beginning this morning, and along with that, the announcement uh, about Barry coming to work here. I'm excited for the church. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for Barry and his family. He and I have become friends over the last couple of years, had some classes together. I think he's going to be a great fit here. Wonderful guy. And so I, I couldn't be more happy for Barry and for his family and for the Savannah Church family. This is a great day, and so very excited. And I'm excited to be talking about new beginnings. Uh, John read uh, Peter, the, the end of his sermon and the response to that sermon, and, and people who are, are responding to the message. And so it begins with about 3,000 people. It's the Lord's church. About 3,000 Christians taking advantage of what God has accomplished through Jesus. Jesus going to the cross, dying there, being raised up, and because of that, they can become part of the kingdom of God. They can find forgiveness, and they can find reconciliation. Hope is, is alive again. And I think we'd all agree that that church in Acts chapter 2, I think we'd agree that it's, it's a great church. They're doing great things. When you think about today, a lot of times people as we interact with them today, they'll tell us that they're looking for a great church. And in case you're wondering if I've got a punchline coming with this, I believe that Savannah, I believe this is a great church. I believe that it is. But think about some of the things that people will look at today, maybe have on their checklist when they're searching for a great church. Uh, sometimes they're, they're looking for a church that it's got a variety of programs, things for ministries covering all ages. They'll look for things like that. Sometimes a, a great church is one where a person will say, well, this church needs to have a vibrant music ministry 
ministry. It needs to have a dynamic worship service, so that'll be on the list. Sometimes a great church is defined by some as one uh, that has spacious, state-of-the-art facilities that are comfortable and nice. Sometimes that's on the list. Sometimes a, a, a person will have on, uh, on a list the idea that a great church is going to have a dynamic preacher that, that will captivate an audience. Sometimes on the list is the idea that, that a great church is going to be for, full of warm and friendly people who reach out and really make guests feel welcome. Some, a great church even, um, there, there's got to be a great cup of coffee. At the church that I'm going to attend, there just has to be. And I, you know, I love coffee. And so I like that one. I really do. And you may be ahead of me, but see, when you go to Scripture, God is looking for, even demanding, great churches. It's something that He's, he's very interested in. But when you go to Scripture, the great church that, that we're going to read about, the great church that God seeks, is not one that necessarily has all these different amenities, although there, there's nothing wrong with those things. And those things make church better, and a church needs to try to do things at the best way possible. So that's all good. But in God's eyes... The church that's going to be great, it's going to have some core DNA, some, some tendencies about it. A church that humbly and fully acknowledges its need of Him, its need of God, its dependence on God's Spirit. It's the, the need to ensure that the church has embraced God's purpose as the church's purpose. Those are the kind of things that, that we'll see in Scripture that make a church great. And so when you start thinking about the great church that, that God is going to reveal to us in Scripture, uh, the great church, it comes about not by words and actions and doing of men, although God expects us to be active and we need to be active. That's not what makes a church great. It's brought about by the Spirit of the living God. And it's the idea that, that we're going to be in a church where lives are being changed for the better by the Spirit of God, by the life-changing gospel of Jesus. And so in Acts 4, John read in Acts 2 about the beginning, and so we're going to go to Acts 4. And in Acts 4, we're going to see this powerful example painted of a great church. And this church was great... Because it's very evident that God was in their midst. It's my absolute conviction that, you know, when you go to Scripture and when you look about what God is interested in and what He's expecting, the same kinds of things that made that church great are the same things that will make this church continue to be great. And so please understand, this sermon, it's not an indictment about the current state of the church. This is the idea... It should be an encouragement for us to see church the way God designed it, the way God wants it to be, and to have that in mind and to have that in view as this church moves toward a new beginning a month from today. Or about a month from today. And so let me give you three things and don't have a lot of time, but number one, God intends for His church to be prayerful. This is what Bradley mentioned a few minutes ago. And we may immediately respond our initial thought, well, we do that one well. And when you think about most churches, most churches are very active in prayer. Most churches do prayer well in a lot of ways. 
But anytime we start talking about the prayer life of the church, I think one of the things we've immediately got to be thinking about is content. As a church, as we pray, what is the content of our prayer? And how does that compare to the content of prayer that we see often in the Bible in Scripture? We want and often pray about, we want good health. And we want a good job, and we want a happy family, and then even in the church realm, we we want a healthy, growing congregation, and we will from time to time pray about that. And so, you can make the case that in our prayer lives, we do a lot of asking, and one preacher asked the self-examination question this way. This, This preacher, he said, when we pray together as a church, are we entering into the throne room of God, or is it more like we're sitting down on Santa's lap? And that's a thought-provoking question. Last year we talked about that prayer of Solomon. We were studying about wisdom and Solomon is taking on this new job as king and he acknowledges to God that this job is big and there's a lot to do here and I don't know what I'm doing. And so Solomon says to God, I'm going to need some wisdom here. And then 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 10, God responds by saying, you know, I'm pleased with the prayer of Solomon. And the question is, when we as a church are praying, how many times would God respond by saying, I'm pleased with the content of the prayer? Notice in Acts chapter 4, the prayer being offered up by the church. I want to begin in verse 23. The Bible says when they had been released, and it's talking about Peter and John, they've been in prison, and they're released from prison. And so when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord. They're praying, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David your servant said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ." For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, O Lord, take note of their threats and grant them uh, that your bond servants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy Spirit, holy servant, Jesus. What's the content of their prayer? You see, praise. Praise for God. Praise for His plan. Praise for what He's done. And they're praising God even though there's this threat. Peter and John, they're out of prison, but the threat hasn't gone away. The threat was, you need to stop preaching, you need to stop teaching. We're letting you out, but you'd better stop. Well, the threat hasn't gone away. And nowhere in the prayer do you see them ask that the threat be taken away. Their request, after acknowledging God's plan and God's purpose, their request, it's not take away the threat, their request is just give us confidence in proclaiming your message. Give us confidence in sharing the gospel. Give us confidence in that. And then they're acknowledging their confidence that God would continue to be with them and God would continue to heal. God would continue to bless. God, we know you're going to do that. So just give us confidence. How often? 
As a church, do we ask God for confidence in the sharing of His Word, in the sharing of our faith? Because the, uh, the biblical model says that we ought to be asking God for confidence in doing that. God's church is meant to be prayerful. Number two this morning, God intends for His church to be powerful. Most of us have experienced that feeling maybe of being left alone or maybe being forgotten in some way. Some of us when we were younger, if you hang out at church long enough, your parents are going to leave you behind. Mom and Daddy both drive and there's miscommunication and they get on their way and you've been forgotten. And, and some of you probably have experienced that along the way. Uh, on Friday... I picked Kayla up from the elementary school where she's doing her student teaching, and we were uh, the reason I was picking her up. We were had her car in the shop to have a couple things done, and so we were driving toward the shop to pick it up. And traffic comes to a stop at a place where it shouldn't be stopping, and I'm a little irritated. And as we inch forward, Kayla says, "Oh, there's Isaac." Well, Isaac is this little first grader, and what had happened, the bus had dropped Isaac off at his house, but nobody was home. Isaac evidently had been forgotten, and so the reason traffic had stopped, one of the first grade teachers had noticed Isaac, and she'd stopped her car and eventually pulled off the road because she was, gonna, she was there to help Isaac. And to, you know, Isaac will never forget that teacher. It's one of the things that makes teachers so amazing in so many ways. Isaac had been forgotten. When you think about Jesus and you think about the effect the ascension likely had had on the apostles, He'd left them. And yes, the Acts 1 records that even while they're looking into heaven, the angels are there providing comfort for them. And yes, they've gone to Jerusalem to wait. And yes, they're staying busy while they wait. They've appointed a replacement for Judas. But how could they have not been a bit anxious? I mean, after all, the leader in physical form is no longer in front of us. Jesus, we've been following Him for three years now. He's no longer here physically. They need to know that Jesus hasn't forgotten them. And they need to know that Jesus is going to come back. And so, on the day of Pentecost, one of the reasons it's so powerful is when the Spirit descends into their midst, they realize that they haven't been forgotten. They haven't been left alone. And so from that point forward, they're very bold in, in sharing the Gospel. One of the things that's noted there in Acts chapter 4, verse 33, the Bible says, "...and with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus." See, the church in the book of Acts, early Acts, it's, it's one of the things that makes it great is because it's powerful. God was present among them. And see, notice what happens. We read that prayer. We read 23 through 30. And if you looked ahead and noticed what happens in verse 31 of the text, the Bible says, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. God is present. And God needs to be present. The church needs to be powerful because the message of the church is a powerful message. Remember what Paul said about the message in Romans chapter 1, verse 16? He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. See, the message is powerful because it's life and death. It's saved or lost. It's in the kingdom or out. It's heaven or hell. And it was that way then, and it's still that way today. And see, some of you may already, though, be ahead of me 
in realizing one of our perceived disadvantages today in trying to have a great church, a church that's powerful. We don't have apostles running around among us today. We don't offer up a prayer to God and then experience a shaken building as God approves of the prayer that's been offered. Now, we're blessed by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, a a non-miraculous measure of the Spirit, God's gift that's promised in Acts 8. Yet the Holy Spirit is pretty scary to us sometimes. We don't study about the Holy Spirit a whole lot. We've looked around the religious world and and we've seen some, based on our understanding of Scripture, who have maybe in some way perverted what the Holy Spirit is all about. And in response to that, sometimes we've reacted by potentially, potentially limiting Him more than Scripture does. And so, as a result, I'm wondering sometimes if there's not some of us who wonder if the Holy Spirit is really in this church. Am I right? We don't see people walking around with flames of fire over their heads and we're not speaking in tongues. We're not speaking in languages that we haven't learned. We still mess up. God's promised that the Spirit indwells us, but we still make mistakes. We still mess up. And sometimes our conscience is taking us through failure and agony and, and sometimes our failures make us wonder, well, how could the Holy Spirit be part of me when I'm still such a mess? Please remember this. From the day of Pentecost until now, the principal proof of the Holy Spirit's presence, it's not about the fire and the noise and the miracles. Those things were needed because the Word needed to be provided and the Word needed to be confirmed. And today we've got the Word. And so the proof of the Holy Spirit has always been and will always be changed lives that are being brought under the Spirit's control, lives that are being powerfully changed so that they're all about fulfilling God's purpose. Christ's church is still meant to be powerful today. And then finally, number three, God intends for His church to be positive. A great church, it's just a positive environment. It's just a positive place to be around. And again from Acts chapter 4, notice the the environment that these Christians are, are about and that they're creating. Verse 32, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet." Can you imagine what it must have been like to have been a part of that? I mean, do you sense the idea that these were people, these were Christians, they were involved in something, or were they looking for every opportunity to spend time together? And yes, even by Acts 5, you know, Ananias and Sapphira, they make a selfish decision. They try to mess everything up. And God sends this powerful warning for what He wants from the church. And it actually requires Ananias and Sapphira lives, but God proves a point. God sends a message to the church. 
The positive model we see in Acts 4, it's one heart and one soul. We talked about the unity thing last Sunday. You see people who are being... You know, selflessness is the order of the day. That's what creates... A, when, when people become selfless, that's when the, the environment becomes more positive. And, and how attractive that must have been because this church is reaching out and they're sharing their faith and they're evangelizing and how attractive it must have been for people to look inside and see a group of people who are of one heart and soul and who are selfless. Even the introduction to Barnabas, this Christian, not an apostle, but a Christian who's known for being an encourager of people. God wants His church to be a positive place. And so as we finish, doesn't the early church sound like the kind of place that we'd want to be a part of? It's a place of prayer, and it's a place of power, and it's a place that had this positive vibe to it. And if you're thinking, okay, this has been kind of a classic three-point sermon this morning, in one sense you're right, but in one sense I've shared three things with you to lead you to one big thought, to lead you toward one big idea that I want you to walk out of here with today. As this church moves toward a new beginning about a month from now, the reason we need to be prayerful and the reason we need to be powerful and the reason God wants a great church to be positive is so that we can better fulfill our purpose. You know, we talked about some church amenities at the beginning this morning, and those things are wonderful. And as I said before, every church should strive in every aspect of doing church, for lack of a better way of saying it, we should always strive for excellence. If it's in our worship, if it's in our teaching, if it's in our outreach, whatever we're about, we should strive for excellence in everything. But here's the thing. The early church was focused, basically, you could say they're focused on two things. One thing or two things, however you want to think about it. Sharing the message of the gospel with the lost and then helping each other go to heaven. That's what they're focused on. And they didn't allow themselves to be distracted by the non-essentials. We're very blessed. But one of the challenges that being blessed brings with it is we're provided with a lot of things that while they're blessings, they can become distractions and they can get us off focus. These people, they simply loved God. They loved each other. They loved the lost. And they changed the world. And that's our purpose. We're here to love God. We're here to love others. And we're here to change the world. That was the purpose of the early church, that one heart, that one soul. And the question is, does that describe this church family? In a lot of ways, I think it does. But I've never been in a church family yet where we couldn't look into the Scripture and then hold our, our current position up against the Scripture and find a way to do a little better. In your life... If you think about these principles, and for whatever reason, yeah, you're, you, if, uh, well, I'm not helping this church be as prayerful as it needs to be. I'm not helping this church be as powerful as it needs to be. I'm not helping this church be as positive. If I see an area personally where I need to improve, can we pray together about that today? And then if you're here today and you're not a Christian, Outside of Christ, your situation, it's a lot like those Jews who were listening to that first sermon from Peter on that day of Pentecost. And I want to go back to just a few of those verses uh, from Peter. 
that sermon and use these as we close out this morning. This is how he began. Notice verse 22 of Acts 22, of Acts 2. He says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. See, Peter's saying, you didn't drive the nails into his hand, but guess what? You did drive the nails into his hand. And that's still true today. Our sins are responsible for his death. And so that's why when you get back to verse 36 that John read for us a little bit ago, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. See, if I'm outside of Christ today, that message is still to me. And so in that day, now when they heard this, they're pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And with many other words, He solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Save from this perverse generation. 2016, it's still a perverse generation. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, Peter's message, if Peter were preaching that in here today, he'd be pleading with us, and it might be a little bit different, but he'd want us to be convinced that we nailed Jesus to the cross. And he'd want us to be convinced that the only answer is the response that he's asked for from these people on this day. And so if you're outside of Christ today, are you wanting to be, you know, are you ready to be a part of this? Are you ready to have forgiveness of your sins? Are you ready to be a part of a prayerful, powerful, positive church family? Because the thing that makes it all possible is God's amazing grace. Obedience to the gospel, it doesn't earn me anything. But what it does is it provides me access to the grace of God. His amazing grace. So if we can help you today in any way, our prayer is that you'll let that be known while we stand and while we sing.